Alrighty, so as we examine, let me get my clicker, as we examine the three different types of tests, again, keep in mind that these tests are not designed for you to get every single question right or be perfect on every single thing, right? Technically, if you get 50% of the multiple choice questions on these and you get a three on two of your essays and a four on the, a third essay, then you pass the test, right? So nobody's expecting you to be perfect on everything. No one, right? But for something we can control, like the essays and you understanding what, it, what are the most important components of a well-written essay, right? We just have defensible thesis, beautiful line of reasoning, well-explained uh, evidence. That's good for all of them, yes? With that being said, shall we begin? Rude. Oh, yes. Okay, so again, with IB, there's a paper one and a paper two. This year, you're not doing paper two. The only thing you're doing for IB at the end of the year is paper one, which seems like, oh, great, I don't have to do a second essay. Cool, cool, cool. Except for, instead of four opportunities to show what you know, you now only have three. And we all know that the I.O. was a teensy sketchy because of COVID at the end of last year. So really, your only hope is the H.L. and the, this paper one, which is why we spent a long time on rhetorical analysis. We've had a lot of practice. And I'm going to show you next time, and maybe even if we have time today, I'm going to show you specifically actual paper one essays and what the commentators said about those paper one essays and we're going to go through it. Yes? We really are going to try to set you up for success here. Okay, but take it away, Taylor. So, um, so this is IB paper one overview. It's the day, it's Monday, May 10th. It's the afternoon slot, which I talked with Miss Mencia. She says it starts at about noon, sometime right around in there. It's handwritten. Um, you need to make sure you know things such as like your session number, your personal code, your PIN. Those are all of your like IB identifying things just in case. So Mrs. Crow will also have those. Yeah, she'll have them as you go in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kind of know what they are. Um, so the entire test is two hours long. It's going to be one. So it's one hour for each response roughly. And so you have two separate rhetorical analysis papers for two new unfamiliar passages. Do not compare the two. It's two separate ones. Don't compare the two. That's major. Can you like repeat that again and everybody write it down? What's going to be confusing is that the two passages will probably be related to one another. So your brain, as a smart person, is going to be like, clearly they want me to compare and contrast the two. They do not. They don't. They want you to basically do a rhetorical analysis essay for each one separately. Yeah? And then, so the passages you, you get, they could be text-based, kind of like a letter or an article or something like that. Or they could be visual-based, like an infographic or kind of like a picture or kind of a website or an ad for something. And so you kind of need to be comfortable doing both. So maybe take a look at some visual-based things. I know we haven't done a whole ton of those, but maybe just kind of familiarize yourself. So in your uh, terms list, there's a section of like basically typography rhetoric. 
like font choice, size of font choice, placement on the page. We have all of those terms and we're gonna talk about them as we go through your rhetorical analysis oral essays, right? But just keeping in mind that that's rhetoric. Anything is fair game from color to placement to size to font uh, to the way that the information is arranged on the page. That's all rhetoric, just like we talked about with the Wawa dude and the sign language. And then so you like we've been practicing this and stuff, but you must rhetorically and analyze kind of like the author's purpose and how they're achieving those purpose through the things they're doing in the ad or the letter or whichever passage you get. So this is important too. They will give you what they called like a guiding prompt for each of these two pieces. They will say on the page, you can either answer this prompt or make one up. Don't make one up, right? <laughs> I mean, if they went to the trouble to give you a prompt. If you're stuck on their prompt, the question, the stable question that you can answer is, again, what we've been practicing over and over again, how did this author achieve their purpose for this specific audience? And then all you do is space cat it. Just totally, and, and so for each of these things, you're gonna set up a space cat for each of these texts and you're gonna write about it. And usually they're gonna talk about the author's purpose in some way and how the author achieved their purpose through that text or through that image. Yes? Rhetorical analysis, always space cat mm -hmm. is your way in. Yeah, and so like, again, like those guiding questions, they're there for a reason. You're not required to follow them, but I think they did kind of a sample of this paper one or whatever. And in that sample, most of the people just kind of went with the guiding questions because like, it's there for you, use it. So, yeah. So, in terms of what to bring to this test, I think you should obviously bring your student ID, all of your sign-in information, um, pencils, number two pencils. I think they might want you to do it in pen, I'm not sure, but maybe bring both options. Yeah. And then, so he's there. these are some kind of like tips for success and stuff. And so your suggested timing is, so you have two essays to write in two hours. So that's about an hour per essay. Maybe just like a little bit off. Maybe there's ones a little bit harder that you might need to take a little bit more, but try to stick to that one hour. Um, and with the timing, the examiner is just gonna give you the two hours. You should bring a watch and give yourself a specific allotment of time. Mm -hmm. Because when you're under pressure, your perception of time is skewed. So bring some sort of a watch, not a smart watch, yeah. but like an old-fashioned 80s digital watch or an analog watch. Yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then so kind of some suggested timings I found for this. Um, take about like 10 minutes to read the passage and kind of outline your essay. And annotate it. Yes. But, and annotate it. Like the faster you can get through this while still knowing what, while still comprehending what, the passage is and like seeing everything in there, uh, you're gonna be better the faster you can do this. And so that just allows you more time to write. And then so take like 40, 45 minutes to write somewhere in there. But again, like whatever you can do to extend that writing time, do that, try to do that. And then if you have to, like just take a couple minutes to just proofread it. They, there's like, you make a lot of careless mistakes when you're like in this situation and stuff. So even it just like skim it just for like misspelled words and things because those are just like real easy fixes right at the end in like five minutes or so and then just kind of cross them out and fix them.
And then so if you're if you're running out of time, like on the first essay, try to like quickly conclude it, finish it up, and then just like move on to the next one because you do have to do those two essays. Well, one thing I think too is we did practice the body paragraphs of a rhetorical analysis essay, just having two body paragraphs rather than three. Mm -hmm. Unless the way that you're setting up your information is better for three body paragraphs, I would always rather see two incredibly detailed body paragraphs than three sparse ones. So if you have two body paragraphs with three pieces of evidence each, that's you, you don't have to stress with the length of it. What they're more concerned about is the detail of your analysis. And here's another thing, and I hate that this is true, but I need you to know this. <laughs> the IB doesn't value clear and concise language as much as AP does. So let me explain what I mean by that. The IB, you're going to see on these sample papers, they love a hot mess of BS nonsense in those sentences. They love big old flowery sentences that are ridiculously long and a little bit clunky. They love. They love, love, love. You'll see on the sample papers, you'll see they value that far more. So if you want to, but it's really important for you to understand that there's a difference between lo being long-winded and being not pertinent to the line of reasoning. So it's okay if you get flowery in your language and whatever, but make sure that nothing you do deviates from that line of reasoning. Everything comes back to it. Everything brings it back around to that line of reasoning, everything. But I do want you to keep in mind that you can let your freak flag fly in terms of being all flowery with your language. They love that, right? But again, keep it formal. Sometimes when you all get flowery with your language, you get informal. Don't do that, right? So keep it formal, but long-winded sentences are fine for the IB. They love it. But for AP, clear and concise is king. So just those are two very different style variations. When I'm looking at sample essays, they value clear and concise differently. And then, like, just like, Again, like one partially done essay, like it looks bad to the grader. So finish both of them, even if they're like not great, which try to make them great, obviously, duh. But like if they're not great, just get both of them done at least. And then like as she was talking about, don't be opposed to just like dropping a body paragraph. If you're running out of time, just like get rid of it or don't even worry about it. And then, so, again, kind of back to this, like, sample group they did. Essays, they lost a lot of points on, like, that criterion D for kind of just being careless, like, with their formality, their register, all those things. And then, so, like, go fast enough to where you can get everything done, but also kind of, like, I know it's super, it's super easy to say and really hard to do, but just, like, kind of remain calm enough so you, like, you're, you're knowing what you're writing and you're not, like, writing words twice or kind of Deep things like that. the whole time, you guys. Deep belly breaths the whole time you're writing, even right at the top of your paper. Breathe, because it'll help your brain think more clearly. I promise. But here's another thing that I saw that you missed. You did a really thorough job. Just one thing. We're handwriting this. Nobody can grade what they cannot read. It's very unfortunate that that is the truth. And the problem with these time tests is very rarely in your real educational academic life are, is a value put on the time that you wrote it in right? Very rarely. Unfortunately, though, that's one of the skills that's being tested here. 
Same with handwriting. Very rarely is your handwriting going to make or break your life, right, in, re in the real world. But in this sense, we must, must, must give a crap about the handwriting. And if you wait until that day to start having good handwriting, it's going to take up all your thought process and it's going to cloud your, your judgment in terms of maintaining that line of reasoning. You're going to be thinking too much about handwriting and too little about what matters. My suggestion is from now until that day, every th practice your handwriting, make sure, not Macy, obviously, um, but everybody else, practice your handwriting, make sure that you're paying attention to it now so that muscle memory is there. I'm serious though. Yeah? Okay. Goes for the AP. Test. And then again, just like she's, we're handwriting it. So if you make a mistake, just cross it out. Mm -hmm. Just like really quick, especially if we're in pen too, just cross it out, move on. The grader will know, like, oh, they made a mistake there. And just I'll show you examples. read the next part. Yeah, they will not factor in what you've crossed out. Mm -hmm. I'll show you real ex handwritten examples. We'll go through those, mm -hmm. okay? And then so also kind of make sure you know the differences between different types of sources because you, you're, you're going to get a source that's kind of a little strange. Yeah. And so just make sure you know the purpose of that source. And like they're not, a lot of them are not super easy. We're super familiar with them outside of this realm of English. But and like you could just take a couple of minutes to just think what is the author or whatever, whoever is making the source, what are they really trying to do? Why did they choose this specific type of source to space do cat that? that? Yeah, so mm -hmm. the genre is important too. Yes, that's a great point. Because mm -hmm. Space Cat doesn't necessarily have a space in there for the type of writing, but the type of writing is really important. Remember we talked about Letter from Birmingham Jail. If it were a book, it wouldn't have had the same impact, right? Did you have other things mm -hmm. to say? And then I was just like, make sure your writing's coherent. Like. If the grader doesn't know what you're talking about, then they can't grade you well on it, like duh. And then so like try to make it to where if you came back to this same essay, which you won't get to see it again, but if you did, make sure you'd understand what you were trying to write if you came back to it like three or four months later. Just try to stay in that mindset because if you can understand it later, then your grader is going to be able to understand it too. All right, thank you. Lovely and thorough, super appreciated. Um, oh, and these are, so we're going to go through these samples. Don't you worry about that. All right, Macy, are you ready? So now we're going to move on to the AP literature and composition exam, right? So this is the literary analysis skills, right? Rhetorical analysis is for AP Lang and literary analysis is for the AP literature exam. So the exam is a total of three hours. There will be two sections, the multiple choice questions and then the free response questions. There are 55 multiple choice questions and it's about 45% of the exam grade. You only get an hour on the multiple choice. And then there are three free response questions and that's about 55% of the exam grade and you get two hours on this part of the exam. And then some of like the types of free response questions are poetry analysis, prose fiction analysis, and literary argument. And you want to take about 40 minutes per free response question. So yeah, this is important too because they'll give you two hours for the free response and you'll be like, I have 40 minutes for each. But then the first one you're like, I need five more minutes, right? And then on the second one, you're gonna be like, I need five more minutes, right? And then on the third one, you're gonna have very little time. 
So again, you've got to got to bring a watch and be a stickler for time. Knowing that the reason that there's three essays on this exam is because they know that you're going to bomb one. So let it be a bomb if it needs to be a bomb. You know what I'm saying? Just don't take time away from the other ones. My other suggestion is find the one that you feel the most confident in and start that essay first, right? And then save the one that you feel the least confident in for when your brain is fatigued. You see what I'm saying? Yes? Okay. You don't have to do them in a specific order is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, there are six main ideas in the course that like the exam will assess, which are character setting, structure, narration, figurative language, and literary argumentation. <coughs> and we've talked about all of those things. All of those things are the, the term, the terms that I've given you. All of them support these six big ideas for this question. So I've been very carefully preparing you for all three tests all along. So while you might feel overwhelmed and unprepared for these tests, not only have I been preparing you all year for all three, very consciously, but Verve has. So I think that you are far more of an expert on these things than you feel like. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes? Okay. Oh, are we good? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Oh. Oh, okay, thank you. Okay. Um, so for the multiple choice section, there are, like, several different, like, sections that they'll like test you on short fiction is between 42 and 49 of the multiple choice grade short fiction just means like an excerpt of a smaller short story but they're still pretty long so when you're factoring your time in for those multiple choice you got to think i'm going to take at least i'm going to need at least five minutes to read the passage before i can answer questions about it sometimes it helps to read the questions first before you read the passage though so you can read with a purpose um, poetry is between 36 and 45 of the multiple choice grade. And then long, long fiction or drama is between 15 to 18% of the multiple choice grade. Um, there are like seven basic skills assessed on the multiple choice section. Um, the function of character, the function of a setting, the function of plot and structure, the function of the narrator or speaker, the function of word choice, imagery, and symbols, the function of comparison, and then developing textually substanti substantiated arguments about interpretations of part or all of the text. So basically, it's textual evidence, literary devices, and how that first list of plot terms, that first of the three, first list of plot terms, and not just this is the narrator, not identifying those things, but saying, how does this narrator choice contribute to the meaning? How does this setting choice contribute to the meaning? So it's higher level thinking about those basic plot points. Yeah? Um, and there are generally like five sets of passages with about eight to 13 questions per set. Okay. I think I have one more slide. Okay. Thorough. And then just some like tips. So study the skills with the most weight in the exam. And then passages range from about the 16th to the 21st century. There isn't a penalty for guessing, so answer every question even if you have to guess. But generally try to only guess after you've eliminated any wrong answers. Um, then like, just read like, and familiarize yourself with a bunch of English literary styles. And then um, become familiar with the literary terms and then the biggest thing is just to practice 
So I'm going to give you practice passages from these tests. We're going to work on them every week, right? But you're going to have to find some way, like this is a great idea, like at least narrow it down that two, two wrong answers and then guess between the remaining two is your best bet. But really, the only thing I can do is what I've been doing all year, urging you to practice those cards, making sure you have those terms in your bones. So then when you have a question and come up against it, you're not panicking about the definition of that term. You're just trying to answer the question. You see what I'm saying? And then we're going to practice. That's all that we can really do. Huh? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Is that good? Yeah. Thank you for being so perfectly thorough. So FRQs, that's, you'll hear that. Those are free response questions. They mean essays. That's what they mean. So you have three essays on the AP Literature exam. The first one is about poetry. Don't freak out about poetry. You know how to do literary analysis. We've already talked about that. And we're just going to do like a crash course of poetry here. But remember, you studied poetry with Verve. You know your literary analysis terms. It's just a little few tweaks to apply those terms to poetry. Okay? Okay, so for the first essay, you have about 40 minutes to write, and uh, you'll be presented with an excerpt and directed to analyze the excerpt for a given theme, device, or development. So they're going to tell you what to look for a device, an idea or type of like sh like development through the shifts, that sort of thing? Uh, you will be provided with the author of the work, the approximate date, and some orienting information like the plot context of the excerpt. And uh, there's an example from, uh, I think it's 2019, uh, the exam, and you can see that uh, it's a uh, given prompt. Uh, you may wish to consider such elements as imagery, section, selection of detail, and tone. Great. Okay, let me see. Oh, oh do you have more? Yeah. Okay. Next. Yeah. yeah, so the essay rubric has three elements. You'll be graded on the thesis, uh, it's 0 to 1 points, and the uh, evidence and commentary, that's 0 to four points and uh, sophistication points and so can I just real quick with yeah. that so again those first five points we've been working on all year a defensible thesis and then what they mean in evidence and commentary I'll show you the rubric again we've seen it but the rubric that we've been using incorporates all of this right so I'll show you their rubric, but basically, have you selected pertinent evidence that maintains a line of reasoning? And then did you make a commentary on each piece of evidence in a sophisticated way? Now that sophistication point, it sounds scary, but we're just going to try to do our best writing possible. But the sophistication point is particularly elevated, sophisticated uh, syntax and word choice. And or a particularly elevated insight for the thesis, for the question, right? Um, but you're just going to do whatever your best work is, and the sophistication point is going to fall where it's going to fall, right? Okay, so start with uh, annotate the poem with the prompt in mind. Identify any literary terms that you know, and then briefly outline where you are going to hit each prompt item. 
Uh, be sure you have a clear thesis that includes the terms mentioned in the instructions. And pause. So you are allowed to use ideas and terms from the prompt, but you may not, you may not word for word repeat the prompt. You can echo it, but you still need to rephrase it and put it into your own words. That's important. And another thing, just real quick, um, there's always going to be a command word is what they call it. And so the command word here is analyze. And I'm going to give you a list of command terms just so you're triple sure what each command term means if it were to come up, right? And if you want to, if you can try to find a way to highlight some sort of complexity in this text, meaning opposing forces, opposing ideas, and how the author treats those, that's what they're looking for. Analyze the complex portrayal. Right? So if it's portrayal of a certain character, like the landlady, try to find the forces that are at odds with each other and analyze those. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, just try to include the terms that you mentioned in the instructions. Literary devices, tone, meaning, um, include the author's name and the title of the poem. Uh, use quotes, a lot of quotes to exemplify the elements throughout the essay. Just um, because they want you to use quotes doesn't mean you lose, you use Jigo quotes, right? You can use three or four words as a quote evidence, right? And fully explain um, how your element examples for your thesis. A deeper, fuller, and focused explanation of fewer elements is better than a shallow discussion of more elements. Can we, see, can we say that again? Because this is so incredible. Thank you for including it. A deeper, fuller, and focused explanation of fewer elements. So we're saying if you had two body paragraphs and you just chose two textual elements to discuss, but you had three or four incredibly perfect examples and well-explained, that's way better to discuss just two elements than it would be to try to cover four and only have one example of each. Do you see what I'm saying? Or one poorly explained example of each. It's still better to go in depth than it is to try to smash cover everything, right? So pick your best elements. Okay, uh, keep your introduction, paragraph, and conclusion short. And do not uh, restate your thesis in the conclusion. You can, you can like re-echo your thesis, but you cannot word for word transfer it in your conclusion and it would be great if when you restate your thesis you're expanding it right you're applying it to some larger idea right okay uh, how to prepare for the uh, poem analysis it's really no way to prepare for it just try to read poems from a lot of eras and authors to get familiar with the language you can learn more about poetic devices. So the one other trick that with poetry that I've heard is read poet. So we have two types of uh, communication language in English language arts, right? So it's prose, which is like the type of writing, paragraph style writing that you see in a novel, right? And poetry, which is stuff is cut off in weird places. Sometimes it has a certain rhythm, meter, iambic pentameter, and sometimes it has a certain structure like a villanelle or a sonnet, right? So it's more structured writing. The key here is for a poem, tell your brain to read it like a novel. And for a novel, tell your brain to read it like a poem. 
So you're going to get feel stuck on the way that the lines end and the way it's structured. Try to just breeze through the structure of it and read it like it would be a novel. Pretend all the lines are just one after another. Try to read it like a novel. And that, that I hear is the best way to approach it. Yes? Cool, cool, cool. All right. Okay, so the second free response question on the AP Lit test is a prose fiction excerpt essay. Um, so it's a prose analysis prompt. Uh, you'll need to read the given prose passage. It'll be 500 to 700 words long. And there will be a prompt to guide your analytical essay about the passage. Um, the prompt will, it will help you look, um, it will help you know what to look for as you read the passage. And you can write on these tests, you guys. So annotate as you go. Just circle anything you think is important. Identify any literary devices. You can totally write on it every single time. Okay, so all prose analysis problems follow the same structure. It will say the following excerpt is from, and then it will give you the text and the author and the date it was published. And then it will say in this passage, and then it will say comment on what is being addressed in the passage. Read the passage carefully, then, in a well-written essay, analyze how the given author uses literary elements and techniques to convey or portray or develop a thematic, topical, or structural aspect of the passage that is complex and specific to the passage provided. So um, you're always going to see this basic structure, no matter what the text is. So you know what to look for, right? You look for that command term, you look for the specific elements they're talking about, and you're looking for an analysis of the literary elements and techniques that the author uses to portray that message. So you're gonna have to find the theme, like I've taught you, which is list all the topic words, combine the topic words to make a statement that's true, right? You're gonna have to find the theme and then figure out the elements that the author used to get that theme message across, that's it. I make it sound like it's like mm, fine and easy, right? I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. You're good. <laughs> so something to note is that the past prompts, um, it did list specific literary devices that it wanted you to look for, but for 2020 and beyond, this is not included. However, it will include clues as to what you should look for. So I took a little clip of a, a little snippet of a, or a prompt. I think it was from 2020 actually. It says, analyze how Hawthorne uses literary elements and techniques to portray the narrator's complex attitude towards Zenobia. Um, so I bold it, or I put the words portray the narrator's complex attitude in bold because that's, that's the clue they're giving you. That's exactly what they want you to look for. Um, so what you're doing is you're looking for the literary devices such as figurative language shifts, direct, uh, diction syntax um, that, sh that show that. Yeah. Um, so you've got to define their attitude and then tell me how they portrayed that attitude through literary devices. Yeah. And then just as you annotate, make sure you're making connections between the topic and the literary devices you see. Can I just say how freaking delightful you guys are? This is all, I was just hoping that you would hit on the things that I was hoping you would hit on. Goodness gracious, I, I mean, having example prompts and making sure that people know that like, it's a stri you guys are just, you did a really nice job, and I super appreciate it. Extra appreciate it. I mean, I could have told you all this, but now you know where to find these things. And I really, really appreciate your thoroughness. Oh, of course she does. Of course she does. Okay, okay so I included a claim outline, too. So 
The claim should follow this outline. It's the claim you're making about the passage that is directly about the abstract topic given um, and that can be supported by the literary devices in the text. And then it should also include your original interpretation of the passage that is not a summary. Yes, please. Thank you. Don't give them a summary. It's insulting. Okay. And then the rubric for this has recently changed, um, kind of like the prompt. It went from a nine-point total to a six-point total. Um, Fangbo kind of hit on it earlier. It's the same one for the poetry essay. Um, it's a, as I said, it's a six-point total. A perfect score would give you one point for the thesis, four points for evidence and commentary, and one point for sophistication. And keep in mind that you cannot get partial points. Um, so if your thesis doesn't have everything they're looking for, you simply get no points for the thesis. And you can't get a partial point for a sophistication category. Either you earn the point or you do not. So your thesis, to make sure you get the full points, it must be defensible and it must interpret the passage according to the prompt. And then evidence and commentary is worth four points. Um, you can get less than four points, it's not an all or nothing, but you can't get partial points. Your evidence must be specific and support the claim. More than one literary device must be examined and your essay should be effectively organized to support the claim. So make sure you don't ever deviate from that line of reasoning or else you won't get the full points. And then and always not just not deviate from the line of reasoning, but continually bring stuff back around to your thesis at the end of each major point. Yeah. And then to get the sophistication, the sophistication point, um, there has to be sophistication found in your writing style or the the way you support the claim, or your argument has to be very complex and nuanced as well as responding appropriately to the complexity of the passage. And then last thing, I found a pro tip. Try not to organize your essays with a paragraph per device, but instead write from the beginning of the passage to the end or some other way that emphasizes the structure of the passage. This is a really good tip. This is not how they used to do it, but this is a really good tip. Like you can say in the beginning, the author does this, this, and this. And this is a really good tip for rhetorical analysis essays too. You still can organize it by a device. 100%. If you are stumped and you're like, crap, all I can really see is juxtaposition and frickin' symbolism. That's all I can see. Then fine. Totally structure it that way. But if you're going towards something more sophisticated, you can organize it with how the author moves through these devices to get to their point. Yes? So I, it's, it's, again, I can't stress enough. Do the theme recipe, and we'll go back to it, we'll totally review it. The theme recipe for a literary device, uh, literary device essay, like a literary analysis essay. Take all the important topic words, what must be spoken about in order to have a complex conversation about this piece, and then start combining those words to create theme statements. That's where you're going to get the complexity that they're looking for. So for any liter on anything for this AP Lit essay, you're going to do the theme recipe. For anything for the rhetorical analysis, anything for AP Lang, you're going to do Space Cat before you do anything else. Yes? Okay. Thank you. Beautiful work. Okay. Oops. Whose is this one? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so for an overview for this test, um, this question presents students with a literary concept or idea along with a list of approximately 40 literary works. Can I be really quick, just one second. So the first two essays, they will give you the writing, the text, okay? 
For the last essay, this is the only one where you bring in something you've read. So you must walk in there with at least two texts in your back pocket. You're going to walk in with three. You're going to walk in with Gatsby, Jane Eyre, Doll's House. Those are going to be your texts, right? That's what you want to do. That's your friend. And we're going to review those texts and make sure that you feel comfortable walking in though with, in there with those three in your back pocket. Yeah? All right. Um, so like Mrs. Fernandez said, you're going to want to have your own text in mind. Um, and then you're going to be required to select one of those, um, either from their own reading or from the provided list. In our case, we're going to do it from, I don't know, are they on the provided list? Sometimes The provided list varies. They have 40 texts, but you do not have to do one that's on their list. That's yeah. important. You can use any text that's comparable to the one that's on their list. And any, te the Doll's House, Jane Eyre, and Gatsby, those are why, the reason we chose those three is because they're what you call Walmart texts. They have lots and lots of themes, lots and lots of devices to choose from. That's why we chose them. So you could walk in having a lot to talk about with just very few texts. All right. Um, so once you have that figured out, um, you're going to analyze how the literary concept or idea described in the question contributes to an interpretation of the work as a whole. Um, so the things that you'll be graded, graded on are responding to the prompt with a thesis that presents an interpretation and establishes a line of reasoning. Um, kind of like everybody else has said, keep that concise and consistent throughout um, your writing. And then selecting and using evidence to develop and support the line of reasoning, explaining the relationship between the evidence and the thesis, and using appropriate grammar and punctuation in communicating the argument. So from these texts, you're not going to have it in front of you. You might have a few quotes memorized from the text, but it's still important that you use evidence from the text, uh, like when somebody, when a character did this or didn't. But I can't stress enough, hello, I can't stress enough, for all three of these essays, you are focusing on authorial intent. What did the author intend and how did they reach their, their intention? What was the message that they wanted to send and how did they send that message? So you do theme recipe and outline how they did it. That's all that you do, right? But you can technically use a text that we did not study in this class, but do it at your own risk. Chances are that unless you're a Jigo nerd, right, you did not specifically study that text with the level of specificity that we do in class. You totally can use another text, but it has to be AP worthy and it has, you have to know it really, really in depth. We're going to go over these texts and we're going to remind ourselves about what these texts are. Yes? Okay. All right. I have another slide. Okay. So I found a few tips. Um, the main one was practice beforehand. Make sure that you're consistently working on your literary argument essays. Um, focus on critical reading and utilize past knowledge of literature given in class and other settings like Mrs. Hernandez was talking about with Gatsby and Jane Eyre. Keep that knowledge in your mind. Um, and the, you know those PowerPoints that I set up? The way I set all of that up was so you can go back and review everything. That's the purpose for why I did it that way, right? That's the purpose for you can just go back and get real comfortable with the text again. Yeah? Um, so then there's take notes as you read, make sure that you're annotating um, just in your mind and then carefully consider the principal ideas of the text so that you can draw them back to the prompt, um, what, whichever prompt you'll be given. Um, and then explore the context and read. There was one that said read the text out loud if you can. Um, I don't know about in the test setting. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Unless then you, 
unless COVID things happen and you're doing it in the comfort of your own home, you cannot read it out loud. But like make, make your brain think that you're reading it out loud. Does that make sense? Like still go through it word for word as if you're reading it out loud. I know that's weird, but yeah. you get it. Um, so then reread when necessary. Um, you want to go fast, so don't reread unnecessarily. But if you don't understand something, make sure that you get it down. And then write review and rewrite regularly, just kind of making sure that everything's okay with conventions. Yeah, and so I really genuinely cannot stress enough for literary analysis, all three essays, you're going to do the theme recipe that I've taught you and we will review. Then you're going to outline. For rhetorical analysis, you're going to do space cat, then outline. Yes? So remember, for uh, literary analysis, we're always talking about authorial intent. Gatsby didn't choose anything. Gatsby didn't do anything. Fitzgerald made the choices, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah? Hello, Mrs. Vincius. How are you? So do you have a, did we talk about the date for the AP Lit? Do you have a date for the AP Lit test? Um. You can look for it, but um, we're talking specifically about like the conditions of the test. We talked about them being in a room with each other, having it be quiet. For the IB test, do they need to use pen or pencil? That was a question that came up that we weren't sure about. IB is pen. And then crossing stuff out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'll show you in the examples. And then what's AP? Pencil. But you need a pen to sign stuff. So maybe just keep in your mind that you need a pen and pencil for every single test. How about that? Yeah. And multiple pencils in case your lead breaks. And also, if you need to go tinkle during the test, you don't get the time back. So manage your bladder situation is what I'm trying to say. Drink enough so you're hydrated, but not so much that you got to tinkle during the test, right? Yes, and keep in mind during the IB test that you can only tinkle during certain times. And I don't even know, like if you leave, you may not be able to come back in. So eat a healthy breakfast, go really light on the OJ, bring a water bottle, and when you do drink from the water bottle, like take a teensy sip, swish it around your mouth so you feel like you drank a lot. And just don't drink a ton. But don't not drink so much that you're dehydrated. Yes? So just walk a fine line and be a mind reader for everything that you possibly need. AP, you can't have food or drink in the room, technically. I mean, we usually let you put it off to the side, but you can't access it during the test. Oh. Can they have gum? Yes. Can they have earplugs? No. Oh, that sucks. Sniffers. I freaking hate sniffers. Sniffers every three minutes. They That. I hate the sniffers. We do have, we will walk around with tissue paper if you need to blow your nose. You're going to have to keep your crap on your table because I'm not cleaning it for you. And yeah, so AP, you can leave and come back, and, but I don't think you have that same option with IB. If you leave, you leave. And it's I only two hours, though. True. AP is three hours. IB is two. Correct. And AP, you have a break in between two that usually somebody brings you a sweet track snack or something like that um with ib tests like if you finish super early great you can leave and leave if you don't finish don't finish early sorry <laughs> if you don't finish early um i've sat and done ib tests before and maybe things have changed but like the last 15 minutes you can't leave and so like if somebody leaves before the 15 minute time frame but then because they finished and then somebody else is like, oh, I'm done, but it's like 14 minutes and 59 seconds till the test is over, then you got to sit there for 15 minutes. 
I don't know why Bybee does that. But Deep breaths, people. Deep breaths. Um, the AP test is scheduled for Wednesday, May 5th in the morning. Which, which AP? Lit. And language, if you're taking language as well. We have a lot to That on. one is currently scheduled for Wednesday, May 12th in the morning. So we basically have this month and April to get set for all these things. I have a plan. Trust and believe. I have the plan, right? We're just going to have to put our heads down and move forward. And no, again, we're, are, are we striving for perfection on these tests? I'm really hoping that you have the answer that I'm looking for. I would say no. I would say pass. <laughs> That's what we're striving for. That's what we're for. So, okay. That's what I'm like, Because uh, they, they took multiple choice stuff last time, and they all struggled, all of them, except for, like, one person. They all struggled. And I, it's really important to understand that these tests are designed for you to get answers wrong and still get a good score, passing score. That's important. So you can't like be on the multiple choice and be like, crap, I'm getting all these wrong. I don't know. And then like lose faith in yourself as you're going. That's not a thing, right? Correct. Any other advice for these tests? Because we're going through the specifics for each one and you can interject if you need to, but any other advice for, for how they should prepare the thing that's nice, I feel like, about the written AP test, like the written form, not the digital form that they're talking about this year, is that you have the opportunity to skip a question, move on, and then come back to it, right? And um, if you did the digital version, you don't have that option. You've just got to keep moving forward or else you're, so I think the digital version is bunk. But anyway, so if you feel like you've got a question that you don't know, skip it, move on and then come back to it. Just make sure when you're numbering, you don't keep filling in, the, you know, make sure your circles match your numbers, right? But skip a question, come back to it. Um, you may have a question later on that you're like, oh, duh, I need to go back to that one. That was the answer, you know what I mean? So you're gonna feel anxious and worried the first time you sit down. You're gonna breathe though. In every single test you take, you're gonna be anxious and worried because you're worried about it, right? But as soon as you sit down and start getting your juices going, like, you can do this. You guys are all 100% capable of it. And even if you don't pass, let's say, you guys have had amazing experiences in this class that have prepared you for college either way, by writing and research and all the stuff that you're doing. So, like, I have it's conversations with my kids. Yeah. Yes, it's not a lose if you don't pass the test because you still took a challenging course that's going to prepare you for college. If you pass it, great, kudos. A lot of universities will not give you both AP and IB credit. So if you pass both tests, you might have to choose which credit you're going to take. You may not get credit for all of it. And I do so. want to tell you one thing, by the way. So my mom is over like advanced programs for the district, right? And she she went to some thing at Harvard where she was, it was like an in-service at Harvard last year. And she said, what do they do? H how do people actually get into Harvard was her question. How do people? And this, this was an admissions officer that she was talking to. And he said, let me just be honest with you. We make a pile of IB. We make a pile of AP. We might make a pile of the rest. And he said, we go to IB first. That's what he said. I'm not lying. It's not rhetoric. That's what he said. And he said, it's rare that a full IB diploma, full IB student is not accepted when they apply. So there's that. I mean, IB is valuable, especially outside of the realm of this Utah bubble thing situation. IB is still valuable in Utah. It's like. true. It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on which, like, what credit you take depends on where you plan to go, is what I'm saying. 
For example, there was a student several years ago who was full diploma IB, which you don't have to be full diploma to still enjoy all the benefits of the IB, right? Mm -hmm. um, but this student was full diploma. She took all of the AP tests along with her IB test. She went up to Utah State, fought for every single credit she can get because they would let her double dip back in the day. She had a bunch of roommates from Davis School District. She had roommates from Davis High, roommates from Viewmont High, which, you know, if you were to talk to the district, they're the smarty pants. It's not Clearfield. They're the smarty pants. I would beat somebody up over that. But anyway, roommates from these high prestigious schools that took AP, took CE, they didn't have IB programs there, so they didn't take IB, but she did. They all decided to take a class together. Who rocked the class? Who aced every test? It was the IB kid. It wasn't the CE and the AP kid. In fact, they asked her for tutoring, and she was like, you should know how to do this. You guys have taken college classes. They didn't have the same habits, study skills, organizational skills that you guys learn in IB. So, and again, you can get that benefit just by taking one or two IB classes. We're excited for the full diploma kids because you can get all sorts of cool stuff, but you can still get all those benefits just from taking a few classes and playing to your strengths. So, IB is beneficial regardless of where you go, I feel like. True. What she said. Do you all have any questions for her about the test that we haven't answered so far? We'll still go into AP Lane, but do you have any specific questions? If you don't have any right now, let's go through the next few slides, and if the questions do come up, please don't hesitate to ask. Yes? Okay, so we've covered AP Lit. We've covered all the components of AP Lit. We've covered all the things you're supposed to focus on for the separate components. Great. Let's move. Let's do the very same for AP Lane. <laughs> dress layers you can take off your sweatshirt and stuff but you, you don't want to be freaking cold all day uh, so I have the overview for the AP language exam and the AP language exam is composed of a two part of two parts meant to test your ability to critically read a passage recall information and draft cohesive and evidence-based essays the first test is a multiple choice section worth 45 percent of the entire score the second is a composition where 55% of the entire score and requires you to write three separate essays based on a prompt using the various analyses tools you've acquired during the course. So just to recap, both AP tests, it's 45% multiple choice, 55% the three essays altogether. That's important to know, right? So multiple choice is arguably heavier than three separate essays coming together for half of the score. So that's why practice your flashcards is all I'm saying. Go ahead. So the total time of the exam takes approximately three hours and 15 minutes. So the first That's with a break, right? That 15 is the, yeah, okay. You'll do multiple choice first, have a break, then come back and do your essay. Yeah. So the multiple choice takes about one hour. It consists of 43 to 47 multiple choice questions accompanied by a nonfiction text. 23 to 25 of those questions are analysis and textual components, and 20 to 22 are writing questions, revising textual errors. And then the composition, all of the quotes are provided by AP Classroom. So it uh, consists of three prompts. It takes about two hours and 15 minutes, and it consists of three prompts with a 15-minute reading period. You'll have a rhetorical, a synthesis, and an argumentative essay. The rhetorical is uh, you'll read a nonfiction text and analyze how a writer's language and choice contributes to the intended meaning or purpose of a text. That's what we've been practicing. <laughs> the synthesis essay is reading six to seven texts about a topic and then you'll compose an argument that combines and cites at least three sources to, com to support your thesis. We haven't, we've sort of kind of practiced that, but we'll, we'll talk about it. 
And then the argumentative essay is to create an evidence-based argument that responds to a given topic. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. All right, so for the AP Lang multiple choice section, uh, just like Maisie said, there's 45 multiple choice questions in the span of an hour. There's 23 to 25 reading questions, 20 to 22 writing questions, and it's 45% of the score weight. And the writing questions are questions that are meant to make you think like a writer, like the authorial intent, how you, and then you go and like fix sentence structure and all that stuff. And then the reading questions cover rhetorical analysis and style, as well as the use and function of certain devices. So even with those passages uh, for the multiple choice section, you could still space cat each passage really quickly and it would help you with those multiple choice questions too. And there's different question types. There's comprehension of the passage. Then there's inferences, relationships between content, identification of rhetorical strategies, analysis of rhetorical strategies, functions of lines and paragraphs, and the effect of syntax. And then there were some tips that there were to answer in context, especially with the writing questions. And then use process of elimination if you don't know what the answer is. Just so try again, and the, the goal is to rule out at least two before you guess is the plan. And then to not read the passage in depth, you'll run out of time. Just like skim it the best you can and try and find and the most annotate, helpful. You can write on it. And then there's a helpful resource there at the bottom that has a bunch of practice, multiple choice tests. And we're going to go through, again, we're still, pra thank you so much. Mm -hmm. We're going to practice. We'll continue to practice, right? But it still helps to have tips and tricks for it. Um, okay, so remember, each AP, AP test has three FRQs, fancy way of saying essays. So this first one is a synthesis essay. You're still going to do rhetorical analysis, but you're bringing different texts together and putting them together in one analysis. So they're short texts. You've got to have that reading time. That's what that extra 15 minutes of reading time is, is reading these synthesis essay tips. But you still have to, can they bring a watch for IB and AP? It cannot be a smart watch, but yes. But like an old-fashioned 80s digital watch? Yes. Or an analog watch with hands? Yes. Okay. That's the, that's the important thing because you're just going to have two, and, two hours and 15 minutes and you're going to be expected to manage your own time for each of those essays, which sucks. Okay. Have, um, so, for example, in the AP test, they would, we have big things that show you how much time is remaining, right? Typically, when you're in the essay portion of an AP test, we would, there's a reading section, we'd have you read it, and then if you haven't moved on yet, actually I think you can't move on yet, then you're able to start your essays, and after you start your essays, then... This is just for AP, uh, AP Lang, right? Um, I, think they, I don't think both. they give reading time on AP Lit. I could be wrong, but I don't know if they do. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so yeah. normally <coughs> they would say there's different... I wouldn't call them prompts, but maybe prompts from the proctor who would say, um, 30 minutes has passed. If you haven't moved on to question two, you are advised to do so. Uh, you have 15 minutes left for test for question three. If you haven't moved on, you are advised to do so. So, I mean, they kind of give you a little bit of prompts that way, but at least they have in the past. Whether or not that continues, I'm not sure. But, but you could always look at the time in front of you, look at your watch, and time it out for your own self too, right? That's yeah. true. Um, let me do this real quick. We're going to move on to the next section. Okay. So we're moving on to the essay portions of the AP language test. This is the space cat stuff. 
Okay, so the first one is a synthesis essay, which we've already mentioned a little bit. Um, it, after you read about like six to seven texts about a topic, and that includes visual sources as well, um, you'll compose an argument that combines and cites at least three of the sources to support the thesis. So at least three. So you can keep in mind that you don't have to incorporate all of the texts. You just need at least three. I think four to five is good, but you know. Uh, for like those of you who have been in like history, it kind of reminded me about like the DBQ yes. a little bit. So, um, and then like the three different uh, ways that um, the AP site talked about like, like combining texts is like um, to uh, like about like sources that like agree or disagree with each other, which is a source based. Or conceptual, which is like key factors, concepts, or categories of a particular issue. That are common in all the sources. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then synthesis of voice, so like the writers, they have, the, their voice is similar. So yeah, that's one of the And we're going to look at these and we're going to examine it, not for a forever long time, but there's just three different approaches that you can have. Take a look at comparing and contrasting the texts, finding a common thread through all the texts, and then finding a common thread through all the authors, right? But it's important to think, do like a little theme recipe or a little space cat super quick for each of the topics so then you can go through and find a common thread. Um, like what does it mean that the sources like qualify? What do you mean qualify? Because it was like you write they either agree, disagree, oh, or qualify. Like support each other. Like oh, some okay. texts will back each other up and other texts will completely provide a rebuttal or a counterclaim for other texts. Yeah. But qualify would just mean like it gives credibility to the other sources because they're both saying the same things. Okay. Right? Okay. Oh, duh. Yeah, there's like um, and so just like suggested tips to answer the essay. So like first you want to do like an inquiry. So like an understanding of the rhetorical devices you use like Space Cat and stuff like that. Um, uh, while you're thinking and reading um, and then linking the sources. So seeing what they have in common, seeing what you can find in common between all the sources as you're going to start your synthesis. And then um, by the end your source informed argument. So and it said the best synthesis essays typically have these traits of sophistication of thought, effectiveness or development of your argument, and unity. Um, the main idea, though, is um, how students approach this essay depends largely on, largely on your ability to read the text rhetorically um, by like understanding relationships among the writers and the audiences and purpose. So the um, space cat of each one, if you can rush yeah. your space cat for each one, that's your best bet. Yeah, so basically, yeah, just the space cat is the most important. And then on the next slide, I think I just put, yeah, some of the sources and then an example question. So you can see it, like, um, it just it, it has all the sources at the bottom of different authors, and then you just read through them and then find kind of a synthesis in those sources. Beautiful. Your beautiful geniuses and your beautiful slides. Whose is this? What's okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I have the AP language rhetorical analysis essay for the FRQ number two. This is the one we will practice the most because this is the one that's most like the IB paper one. So since the essays are 55%, I got this quote from just like um, a whole 
website about tips on the whole AP. So it included both AP language and literature. But yeah, this one is directed at AP language. But it is helpful to have a pl uh, plan before game day. Aim for around 40 minutes on reading the nonfiction text, creating a quick outline, and writing an essay that analyzes the author's choices and their impact on meaning and purpose. We've been doing this, and later I've put in bold and made it bigger. Look for the space cat, which Always. do the, like write that in your quick outline. Like you don't even need to start writing an intro or a conclusion. Just have your space cat. Um, and another big thing, which is just we should already know this, is to study your rhetorical terms and devices. And when you are writing, try not to explicitly state the rhetorical vocabulary. Like, you're not going to say, the author uses ethos in this and this. You know, you can be like... You the can, author uses an appeal yeah. to credibility, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Um, and then if you need to say, like, you're not going to say, the author uses this metaphor. It, you could say, metaphorically... Um, this, or you could or, even say, you know, the author carefully compares these two things to illustrate this point. So never just, the goal is not to identify the literary device ever. The goal is to analyze how the literary device achieves a purpose. That's the higher level purpose. So if you ever find yourself just identifying it and moving on, you haven't done what they're asking for. You need to analyze how that literary device gets the author what they want. That's it. Yeah. So again, just look for the space cat and a good idea to have like in your introduction is you need to like introduce like the speaker, the purpose, audience, context, and exigence. And then the things that you don't mention from space cat, just make sure you have them in your body paragraphs. Um, and this is another tip, like when writing an analysis work in chronological order from the text. So I think part of that is like, you don't just, I would steer away from just pointing out like three different rhetorical devices and putting it in each different body paragraph like try and make it flow where you could say like you know at the start of the text it goes from here and then the author takes it this way and then you know I mean state it better than that but basically what you want to do is you just want it to flow so you're not focusing on just three things but more so on the whole text in its entirety and how it progresses to the authors like again remember how I said at the beginning shifts are going to be the key to everything it's how they shift from one focus to another, one argument to another, one use of a literary device to another, and then that's, you can outline that as you go chronologically through the text. Maybe one paragraph for the beginning, middle, and end, or one paragraph for the beginning and middle, and one paragraph for the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, did you? There was more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a big thing that the AP is going to look at is your transition words, and especially like in your annotation verse, which we have a pink piece of paper, which I wrote in there, like refer to your pink paper because pink paper. you don't want to say like, this shows that instead you can like elevate your word choice. Like this establishes, this exemplifies, like really try and elevate your word choice. Cause that's what AP is looking for. They're looking for your language, the author's language and how you interpret the author's language and what they're saying. And it's just, yeah. Um, make sure you have a clear, concise line of reasoning, tie it back and any chance you get really tie it back to your thesis and just watch for your contractions i wrote that mostly for me <laughs> but y'all love the contractions yeah you have a thing with them it's a it's a thing and make sure you're not using like i your our we like just yeah so it, like the a way to avoid that is thank you is by remembering that you're not a part of the action you're not a part of the conversation you're an eagle flying above it all commenting on the conversation you're not a part of it so saying we you me i talking in first person at all is not going to accomplish that purpose so stay out of it and talk about one should society should this audience should but never we you me all that good stuff okay
Uh, yes, this is very true, but whose is this? Oh. So the number one tip that I saw when I was researching the AP Lang argument essay is take a clear stand. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times you say... So this, wait, pause. This essay is super weird because it doesn't involve any text. It's just you using rhetoric. Now that you've analyzed the rhetoric of writers, it's you using rhetoric to prove a point. And you can use any evidence from any of the world. It's super weird. You can use anything to prove your point. You don't have to use any sort of informational text. You can just pull stuff out of your butt, and it's fine. It's the weirdest. It's weird. It's like the weird punk rocker of the three essays, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you just need to state your opinion um, and like keep with that opinion by just having a defensible thesis. But it's going to be hard because it's going to be your opinion, so you're going to feel like you can say, I, me, my... You still shouldn't. You should just state the opinion as a fact and then support that fact. All right. And so we're to like respond to the prompt and I like have an example of the prompt. Let's read it because it is super weird. Yeah. So there's like this excerpt from a book about like how this author is like she thinks it, or this person is just thinking it's important to explore the unknown. So then your prompt is write an essay that argues your position on the value of exploring the unknown. So you either have to prove that right, prove it wrong, or you say the truth is somewhere in the middle. So you would literally say exploring the unknown and then your opinion about it. And then you would support your opinion about it using the rhetoric that you've been studying all year. You would use arguments. You would use ethos, pathos, logos. You would use the uh, rhetorical devices that you've been studying to prove your point. You can use any evidence that you want. You can use current events. You can use events from your own life. It's, it's weird. It's weird. All right, and then steps to a beautiful essay is, one, you have to have a defensible thesis, which is taking a clear stand, and then use specific evidence, except for, like Mrs. Hernandez was saying, it's not going to give you evidence. You just have to come up with it by yourself. And then establish a line of reasoning, and then two to three body paragraphs, and then a conclusion that explores a theme. And it will help if in that conclusion, again, you're going to blow it up to a big picture societal idea. What should society know or change or do, right? we got to blow it up and make it pertinent to the outside world. Yeah, so one thing I like to think about for, like, a conclusion is you're not talking about the author anymore. You're just talking to society. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you need to include a counter-argument, and they said that makes your argument just stronger. Counter-argument is very simply saying something as simple as, others might think that because of these reasons, but I am still right, without using I, but I am still right because of these reasons. It's very simply an argument essay, stuff you've been doing throughout school since junior high. So you do have to acknowledge why others would disagree with you and give specific evidence why they would disagree and then rebut or refute that evidence by saying, I'm still right because of these things. It's a real wild card situation, you guys. We'll practice it. Don't worry. Okay. Is that oh, I have another right? slide. Yes. Okay. okay. And then I just included a body paragraph outline because... You can just, like, include your counter-argument just, like, somewhere in one of your body paragraphs. It doesn't need to be a whole other paragraph. And then just some important stuff to know. 
And then, okay, so you need to like express yourself and show off, especially with your evidence. And then you're allowed to have opinion. Something that like one of the AP graders said is a lot of times the kids are afraid to have an opinion. Make your opinion strong and bold. Yeah. Remember, this reader has read 50 essays today before yours. What are you going to do to make it not like those 50 essays? Have a bold stance. They're not going to grade if your opinion is bad or questionable. They're not grading your opinion. They're grading how you expressed your opinion. Very two very different things. Yeah? Yeah. Just like remember there's no correct answer, so just prove your stance right. And then you need to use your own general knowledge of the subject as evidence. And then pre-writing is super important in this essay because you have to come up with your own evidence, so make sure you pre-write. That outline. So again, you can't space cat here, so spend your time. Well, you can space cat. You really could say... You really could outline your own audience, but this time you're not analyzing an author's rhetoric, you're creating your own rhetoric. So you still need to have a purpose, you still need to have a message, right? And you need to know that your audience is some reader who's already read 50 essays, right? But it's a real wild card. We'll go into it, don't you worry. You guys, so here's the thing. All of these things, every single component for all of these tests incorporate stuff that you have been working on for years. So while it seems daunting, the only part that you need to work on is just those little details for the type of question you're answering. But you have been working on thesis, line of reasoning, examining evidence. You've been working on that for years. So you have a lot more expertise in this than you think you do. You need to walk in remembering that you have an education. You have been prepared. You've been prepared for years and years and years, and you deserve and should be taking this test right along with everybody else. Y'all are good at this. And have you noticed, like when you went back to your HLSA, how much smarter you got in just a month between the time that you put it to bed and the time that you revisited it? Did you notice that? You should have. You're way better now. So I just want you to give yourselves credit Good writing is good writing all the time. Yes? So, okay, this is the part where this is why I had Mrs. Mencius come in. Questions now. Now that we've had an overview of everything, questions. It can be even be small logistical things. Like what about, what do they do if it's during, I see that, just one second. What do they do if they're, it's during class? Do they just get excused from class for these tests? Yes. Great. What was your question? Um, I can get that for you, but it's all, it's all roughly one quarter. I think the IO has a heavier weight, but I mean, it's all roughly one quarter, but I don't know how the weight goes this year because I know, right? We're going to be fine. You're fine. Um, even, again, even if you don't pass the IB portion, right, you're going to be okay with the things that you've learned. Even if you have to take the stuff that you would have clipped out of not passing, you're going to be able to breeze through it. You're going to have skills that peop other people in your class do not have. So it's not, just don't panic, okay? okay. But the I.O. was weird. <laughs> but I will get you, I just don't know the percentage breakdown now that they've cut out paper two is my question. I don't know that answer. I can find it for you, though. Other questions? Going back to, like, when you show up, getting excused, whatever, 
you will just show up the morning of your exam to wherever you're supposed to be. You won't go to class and then get called out. You just go wherever the exam is going to be. Most of the IB tests, I believe Ms. Curl is planning on having in the library. More than likely, the AP exams will be in the small gym. That's where they've been in the past. So you would just go to the small gym or go to the library on the day of your exam and wait to be admitted, basically. And, and who the crap knows about the weather in those buildings? So bring a, a hoodie and like a zipper one that you can quickly take on or off. It's going to be distracting. It's cold. So if any of you guys have done the PSAT before, you remember how cold. If any of you have done an AP test last year, you know it's cold. So there's the heating sucks in there, and sometimes it gets loud with airplanes overhead. So, but we try to make it as quiet as possible. But, yeah, you'll sniffers. just show up. Sniffers. <laughs> if you just it. show up, um, whoever is present we will give a list to miss day and you would be excused from those classes your absences would be excused okay tyler your question do we have to do like counter arguments on anything other than just the argument nope counter argument is only for your the author you should identify the counter argument of the author in the text that you're examining for sure right but the third one is you creating rhetoric you creating your own opinion and using the rhetorical devices to support that. Yeah. So it's the only test that we need to pull something from our own that um, mm -hmm. AP... Well, no. So technically, so there's two essays, one on AP Lit, one on AP Lang, that you're pulling your own information for. On AP Lit, you're pulling the novels that you've read, right? So you have scaffolding there. We've gone through it, these things with a fine-tooth comb. For AP Lang, that third essay is pulling your own stuff, but in this case, you're just pulling it, just pooping it out, like from wherever you can get it. It's real weird. Yes? Um, for example, on like the prompt that I put, like one of the evidence you use is like, oh, scientists have to like step into the unknown to like bring about like the important innovation. So it's really just like random knowledge that you've just like picked up. So like watch the news and stuff. Yeah. Maybe listen to podcasts from here on out. Yeah. Okay. Can you make up random statistics for that one? I don't believe you can make up statistics, but if you don't have a direct, if you don't have a direct statistic, then you would just say many scientists believe, or co the common current belief is that. I don't think you can make up statistics. I can double check for you, but I'm pretty sure that's a no. Any other? Wait, I saw other hands. But if you have statistics and you're like a rain man situation, by all means, use them, right? Um, and if you are using a source, you can take a minute to cite it, not in the parenthetical way, but saying on so-and-so's podcast, right? But you don't have to do that. It could all just come from your own life, like your own general knowledge. It's weird. Hey, you guys are going to be fine. We're going to start practicing next time. It's going to be a really calculated full effort for each you of these components. Have, when you look at the test schedule test for IB that conflict with AP test, you need to talk to me or Mrs. Hooten Girl. ASAP. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. You guys did a lovely job. Thank you for your lovely work as usual. Don't forget your homework and what's due on Friday. Yeah. Where do we find the test schedule? The, where do they find the test schedule? I have it right here. But um, I have it right here. It is online. If Where you're taking online? a lot, I think it's under AP testing. Okay. Let me double check to be sure. If you, if you just go on my AP, all the ones you're signed up yeah. for, they should have the date. 
Thank you, Tyler. And the IV tests, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's why we need, but he has the, our IB test is at least the right date. Yeah. We have that date. Which if this is it's just if your other teachers are not as conscientious, <laughs> then you have to go do some digging, I guess. Yeah, if this is but it's all, it's all March, right? April, May, it's all May though, right? It's all May. Okay. Right? Right? Yes, it's all May. It's all those first three okay. weeks in May. Okay, bye.